Hey y'all, I'm Whitney Scarborough, the host of Wits End. Here we are real people asking hard questions. If you think you hear the hum of a fridge or a train in the background, it's because you probably are. We are recording these episodes from the comfort of my home in a small town called LaGrange, Texas. Today, I am joined by an old college friend named Taylor Fontenelle. She shares with us what it was like to receive a scary diagnosis at a very young age and God's crazy intentional fingerprints throughout her life. Let's dive in. So today, I am joined by my dear friend, Taylor. Taylor, I I can't even think about how many years that we've known each other without like going back to like, I think like college. I mean, was it even, I feel like I heard about you even maybe in high school, but college years, I think that was when we first connected. Yeah. Well, for sure. The first time I heard about you was a picture for Rush Week for our sorority. Oh my gosh. And you were like on the wall and I'm like, oh, that girl's really cool and cute. And then we recruited your best friend, but oh we didn't get you, darn gosh. it. But that was that my first sighting so... of Whitney Brenton back that then. That is so funny. Okay. See, I wasn't even thinking back that far. Okay. So, yeah. so yeah, so I want to say around that time, we both went to University of Georgia, shameless plug, right? Like, mm-hmm. go dogs all the way. <laughs> and um, I remember hearing about Taylor Brown, right? Now we have married mm-hmm. names, but Taylor mm-hmm. Brown. And I think it might have even been um, the camp that we worked at, Camp Timberline, that really was what connected us. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I want to say even like painting a a bathroom or like a little downstairs closet or something like we, yes. we bonded. Yeah, no, my Whitney crush started long before that, but that was like where it solidified <laughs> into something real. That was Aww. so wonderful. Yeah. That was, yeah. We, we've bonded over States even. Yes. So many fun memories of walks during college and yes, you were like going to Bolivia. I mean, we just had so many things going on and I yeah. loved learning from you. Uh, well, I remember one sweet conversation actually right before my husband and I started dating. And um, so I, I feel like we need to give a little more context. But so Taylor and I worked at a camp called Camp Timberline that is still in operation. Great, sweet camp in the mountains in Estes Park, Colorado. And we met at that camp and, um, and then I want to say my husband actually might've worked with you before we even met. And so I think I told you, um, you know, when we first started talking because you already knew him and, um, yeah, so that's kind of funny. I remember walking on the track back at UGA saying, I think I have a crush on this guy named Tim. And <laughs> and I think I cut you off and said Tim before it even came out of your mouth. Yes. I was like, Duh. I knew that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So Taylor, just give us a little bit about just kind of a snapshot of your life. Cause that was, let's see, like that was like early 2000. Here we are about 20 years later. Mm-hmm. And so just tell us a little bit about what your life looks like now. Yeah, so um, I live in northern Colorado, Fort Collins. Um, I have three young boys who are soon to be three, five, and seven. Oh, so my life is crazy. And then on my what I call my days 
off. I go to actual work. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a registered nurse, um, work just part-time at a surgery center. Um, I also, because I'm just have so much time on my hands, do right. a little side business with um, helping moms get their babies to sleep. So I know we'll talk more about yes. that, but um, wrote Absolutely. a book and teach some classes and yeah, so life is full. I kind of realize I don't love to do anything full time. So I like to just dip my toes in lots of different waters. Yeah. And it just keeps things exciting. I don't yeah. feel burned out. I really um, love everything I get to be a part of. So, And then yeah. I'm married to a wonderful man named Michael, who's a high school math teacher and just basically the most amazing guy that I feel really thankful to be with. Yeah. He's very kind and wonderful. So um, yeah, we have a great little life here. That's awesome. Okay, so just tell us a little bit about Colorado because I have this special place in my heart for Colorado. I've never actually gotten to live there for more than, you know, a summer. Um, But there are days when Tim and I think about how wonderful it would be to live in Colorado. So just give us a little. (laughs) I want to say it's not as dreamy as you think, but it kind of is. (laughs) Um, Dang it. No, it is. So, so you and I, like we mentioned, we worked Mm. at a camp out here where, and the headquarters are in Fort Collins. So we used to come down here on nights off as staffers. And I eventually then took a semester off school at Georgia and lived with a family in Fort Collins and I'll, I'll never forget, I was driving through town with the dad of the family, and he was like, Taylor, one day you're going to finish nursing school, and you're going to come back, and you're going to work at this hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> it didn't all play um, out the way I planned it, as we'll talk about later, but um, I just love it here. I mean, Fort Collins specifically is a really family-friendly town. It's got such a cool culture because people are really into biking, um, uh, and we have a lot of... Um, craft breweries and fun little restaurants and a good art scene. I mean, it's just, and I, I'm super spoiled. So <laughs> like the funny story I like to tell is when we were looking for daycares, um, I was really hesitant to go to this specific one because it was 12, 12 minute drive from my house. <laughs> and that just seemed a little too far to me. So far. Because <laughs> um, we are like the epicenter of Fort Collins where we live. Yeah. So, I mean, we just don't drive anywhere that's more than about 10, yeah. Yeah, like 15 minutes away. So I love that because I don't want to spend my time sitting in traffic. I want to yeah. be with my family or outside. And so yeah. um, it's a great area that really allows that. So, yeah, I feel... That's awesome. Blessed. It's like so wonderful. That's awesome. I just feel like there are times when I will see your pictures on Instagram, you know, of a a hike on a, you know, a Sunday afternoon hike, and it's just this gorgeous view of the mountains. And I'm like, we sat in our backyard, you know, <laughs> it's pretty flat and muggy here, you know, you so know. it's, well, there's but, so many great things about everywhere yeah. you can live, but like, yeah. I, I just am such an outdoorsy, like I come alive yeah. in nature. So for me to have those kind of things in my backyard or just a short drive away is so life-giving. So yeah, yeah I feel really I love that. No, that's awesome. Y'all enjoy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Okay, so we're going to just kind of dive in back to many years ago. Again, we, were t- we started kind of talking about how our story, our friendship started in college. And then it was, I think, after I actually left to go to Bolivia um, when you received some really heavy news. And mm-hmm. um, so I just kind of wanted to ask you to walk us through the news and what that journey was like. 
Yeah, absolutely. So this all started um, around my junior year of college. Um, I just started having some kind of bizarre symptoms. Um, I mean, I've always been really athletic and um, healthy, and and it was just kind of these weird symptoms. I mean, my fir- my first symptom was itchy skin, and yet I didn't have a rash on my skin. I didn't have any reason to have itchy skin. So I thought, oh, I must have a food allergy. So I kind of went down that path, all dermatologists and allergists. No one could figure anything out. And then it was like, gosh, sometimes I feel kind of like excessively tired or short of breath. Like what is going on? And um, so I saw a number of different doctors over the course of a couple of years Um, I think the tricky part was that I was in nursing school and I was 22 healthy looking. um, And so a lot of them chalked it up to anxiety, which I completely believe can manifest symptoms in you. But I just knew deep down something else was going on. And so I was pretty persistent to um, get an answer. And it kind of eventually came because I went in to do a nursing clinical. And I just remember feeling so run down, like, why do I have no energy? And I walked in the room and I passed out. And it wasn't like at the side of blood. It wasn't, it was just like, I had nothing left. And that was then kind of when my parents even were like, okay, no, we are getting some answers. So because I had been having that shortness of breath, um, they took me to just my primary care physician. He ran some labs and did a chest x-ray and they saw a mass in my chest cavity. And so, and at that point, I had a lymph node swell up on my neck. I mean, I'm like sitting in class, reading through different, you know, ailments going like, I'm like diagnosing myself, you know, but I'm still in denial Um, because like I said, I'm young. I've always been healthy. Like there's no way I'm just making this up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I still was not thinking for certainty over anything, but I did want an answer and a name Mm -hmm. to what was happening to me. And so um, I was still taking it kind of lightly. And I remember, um, you know, we had set up like, we're going to see a surgeon. We're going to biopsy this lymph node. And I remember them calling me to schedule it. And I was like, well, my next few weeks are busy with some tests and clinicals. So how about March? And this was January. (laughs) They were like, how about tomorrow? (laughs) Wow. And that's when I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like they think this is something serious. Mm. I really need to get this done. So then the next day I went in, um, had a, you know, just a lymph node biopsy. And um, shortly after waking up in recovery, the doctor came in, he said, it's malignant, it's cancer. And then all of his words kind of got foggy from there. But eventually what ended up happening is um, they knew that it was malignant. They knew it was cancer cells. They knew it was lymphoma because it was in my lymph system but they didn't know what type. So I came to learn that there's a bunch of different types of lymphoma. And they basically left me hanging with like, it's one of these types, but we don't know which one. And Mm. we should find out in a couple of days. So of course, being a nursing student, I, you know, researched the heck out of each of these types, basically realizing I have either like a 5% five-year survival rate or like a 90% five-year survival rate. So, um, And then the three days became two weeks because they had trouble Mm. reading my slides or whatever you want to call it and had to send it off to another um, hospital. And so it was a real trying time of waiting and um, soul seeking and praying and all the things because I don't know if you, I mean, everyone has had to wait for something. It's just so 
grueling on your mind and really test your faith. And so what ended up happening was, um, you know, I had been, I was a young Christian. I I didn't really become a Christian until the end of high school. So I was only a few years in and it had been pretty rosy up until then. I mean, Mm. I, I had lost a friend in a car accident. I had had a few other minor things, but, um, this was, this was real. I mean, this was where I really had to go. Like, okay, I'm 22. I have so much life I want to live. If this doesn't go the way I would want it to, do I still believe Mm. God is good and he has my best interest in this? And um, I'll be honest and say at first it was no, no, I don't. I don't want to die. I want to live. And I, I then spent those weeks kind of journaling and writing out, I mean, really grieving the life that I, I had promised myself. Mm. That was never guaranteed, never is. Mm. Um, so I wrote out so many different things of like, okay, if this takes my life, here are things I wanted to happen that won't happen. Mm. And I slowly, one by one, just kind of surrendered those over. And wow, um, it was tough. It was a very heavy two weeks. And I think in retrospect, I mean, you can look at it a few different ways. I don't think God purposely was like, I'm going to make you wait so that you learn. But I do think in that waiting period, it shifted my heart so much that it that wouldn't have been able to happen in three days. Mm. It really took the full two weeks to come full circle and um, really come to a peace with it. So then I say, by the time I did get my diagnosis, I... I really feel like I was ready to die or ready to do whatever Mm. needed to happen. Um, And that feels so weird to say now looking back at how much life I've gotten to live since then, Mm. um, what I wouldn't have gotten to, but it is, yeah. So anyway, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma on January 25th. This was 2007. And um, which is like just a couple of days ago is the anniversary of that. Yeah, from when we're recording. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. how cool. Wow. So, um, and started chemo right away, Mm. did the whole, like, I did six or seven months of chemo. I had a blood clot in my lungs, a pulmonary embolism halfway through that, Mm. that almost took my life, lost my hair, then thought I was done, had to do radiation when I didn't think, I mean, it was like (laughs) such a trying year and yet one I would never Mm. change or remove Mm. from my timeline. I mean, Mm. it was changed everything. So, um, wow. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the long of the, the short of the longer, however yeah. you want to say it. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so then what happened? I mean, what, I mean, I know obviously we're sitting here, you're, yeah. you know, you're healthy now, but what, what was kind of the timeline of that? And when, you know, when did things change for the better? Yeah. So that was a tricky situation because by the time I finished chemo and then radiation, um, I mean, I remember all along, like I journaled the whole thing. I had one of those Caring Bridge, you know, websites and Mm -hmm. everybody was like, we're going to throw this huge party for you. And this is all Mm -hmm. over. And the truth of the matter is, and anyone who's walked alongside or personally gone through cancer knows that um, it's kind of, it's not really feasible. At the time that you finish treatment, uh, there's a somewhat of a cumulative effect of all mm-hmm. the drugs. And I was just done. I mean, I was so wiped mm-hmm. by the end of it. I was feeling the worst that I had felt the whole yeah. time, even after treatment was over. And so um, I took a few months to um, just kind of recover and try to heal. Um, mm-hmm. And I had another thing people don't think about is, you know, you can survive cancer, but still have lots of residual effects from either the cancer itself or the yeah. chemotherapy or whatever. Yeah. And so 
I mean, I was having still so many lung problems, trouble breathing. I had um, GI issues, like I had damage to my esophagus from the radiation. So I had swallowing issues. It was just, Mm. you know, it kind of humbles you down to your lowest point. It was very challenging. And yet I was like trying to finish nursing school. So Mm. what happened there, um, because I was in my last semester of nursing school when I was Mm. diagnosed, and my professors, of course, were unbelievable. I mean, I still keep up with them mm. to this day. They were wow. just so meaningful in my life. And they, you know, of course, like helped me kind of cater my schedule around and um, helped me stretch out basically the semester into a mm. whole year. And so I was able to finish and graduate um, right around when I was finishing radiation, which sounds mm. crazy to think about now. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, I, I needed a purpose. I needed yeah. something to have my hands in. Or right, you didn't you know, really want gonna, life to just stop completely. Yeah, I yeah. didn't want to sit around and feel sorry yeah. for myself. And not that that's the wrong thing if someone else chooses that. But for my personality, it was like I need, I need to still have like mm. a purpose and a goal and um, something to keep me going every day. And so, so I finished. Um, got my nursing degree and then, but like still was so exhausted. I mean, there was no way I would be able to do 12 hour shifts or anything. So what ended up happening, I had come to visit my good friends, um, the nobles who live in Mm. uh, Denver, who you know Mm. as well. Um, And I just come to stay with them to visit like in October of that year. And it kind of ended up becoming, Mm. hey, you should just move out here. Just come live with us. We'll take care of you. Yeah. Um, And just kind of figure out what you want to do next. Um, And that was really hard for so many reasons because I had such a huge support Mm. team and community back in Georgia. But at the same time, I had really kind of become the girl with cancer, you know. And there's nothing wrong with that. And nobody meant that had ill will and kind of defining me that way, but I was ready to move on and, and like Mm. find my identity outside of being that girl. And so I did decide then my mom and I drove out across 24 hours cross country to move me to Colorado, Mm. not knowing if I was going to be here six months or a year. Mm. We just had no idea, but I lived with the nobles. They literally like pieced me back together, mm. fed me and, you know, clothed me basically. Yeah. Like they just, just took nurtured you. Yeah. Good, yeah. Nurtured me during a time I really mm. needed it. So then I started to dabble in like home health, nursing and different things that wouldn't be as um, physically exhausting. Yeah. And then eventually um, went back to work this summer at Camp Timberline, which Sweet. was such a treat. Sweet and gift. then, yeah. Um, mm. And then got a job at a hospital in Denver. And mm. so, so yeah, so from there, um, as far as my health, um, everything's been wow. good since then. But again, it's been, you know, because of having a blood clot, it's like I yeah. have to go, I have to go on blood thinners for different things. And, yeah. um, and then because of having radiation to my chest, I'm at mm. an increased risk for breast cancer. So I do breast mm. cancer screenings every six mm. months. And so there's stuff like that where it's like always kind of rearing its little never, head and reminding never fully me gone. to, yeah. never fully gone. Yeah. And um, I think anyone who's been through an experience like this knows that it mm. just kind of becomes part of your life. But um, I choose to look at that as a positive thing and just an opportunity to remember what God has done and um, how mm. far we've come and be yeah. grateful for each year of life. I mean, in the yeah. cancer world, birthdays are like mm. such a big deal. And 
it's mm. it is. It's just a reminder that yeah. you get to have one. And yeah. it's something I don't want to forget. Yeah. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So that's where we're at now. That's so good. Okay. So you are talking about this whole season of life of going through something that you never imagined, really intense suffering. Um and kind of even faced with some of your worst fears of mm-hmm. I may die at a very young age and my life does not look anything like I thought it would. Um, there may be some people listening who are walking through something similar and I'd love for you to speak to them, but I'd also love for you to speak to people who more likely the chances are that more people that are listening are going to be able to say, I know someone or I have a family member or, you know, I think a lot of times... Um, we can say a lot of dumb things. We can do a lot of dumb things with a, with good intentions. But mm-hmm. um, I would just love to hear what were some of the things um, that you remember um, that were a blessing to you in that time? Like, how did people love you well? And just maybe even encourage people in that. Like, what yeah. would you encourage a community, a family member, a friend to do for somebody who is struggling through something similar? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'd say the biggest thing was, and of course, this is going to be dependent on different personalities. I'm someone who like, if I'm hurting, I just want you by my side. Mm. (laughs) I just, so I had different friends go to chemo with me. Um, They would bring me like snacks. And um, I mean, some of them would come over afterwards and sit and watch Planet Earth with me and just kind of be there, you know? And I know that's, this was before I was married or had kids. So a lot of that changes, you know, depending on your life circumstances. But for me, we're at a season of our lives where we could just, um, yeah, kind of just have people there. And then um, back to the nobles, Laura Noble um, Hmm. created like a card system where she, I guess, I I still don't know exactly how she made it happen, but Hmm. essentially had people who love me um, sign up for a day to mail me a card or a letter letter or whatever. Um, I mean, I think by the end of that year, I got 300 something cards and I got to the point where I started pinning them up on my wall and it was like my wallpaper covered your wall in my room (laughs) because, and it was, I'm such a words person. Mm -hmm. So that specifically was so meaningful just to Mm -hmm. every day, literally every day, no, that somebody's thinking about me, that somebody's with me, that I'm not forgotten. Um, the mm. Caring Bridge website was so helpful because I had people who I didn't even know would mail me things or um, check in with me or, you know, it was just people yeah. came out of the woodworks to show their support. And I would say that too, that it really changed the way um, I, you know, show up for people. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I maybe would have like a friend from childhood have something hard happen mm-hmm. and it's easy to just go like, oh, that's so sad and kind of move mm-hmm. on with your day. But now I kind of take that extra step to just mm-hmm. say, hey, I don't know what else going on, but I just yeah. want, you know, I'm thinking about you and, um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm here for you if you need anything kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and you don't always know what to say. And I think I really hmm. appreciate the people who even just showed up and said, hey, I don't I don't know what to do here. Like, yeah. I don't know what you need either. But I'm here. Um, but I'm yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, you know, a lot of people always say, you know, don't say to someone, you know, let me know if there's something you need because they're mm. not going to let you know. And I think there's truth in that. But at the same time, they just are, they're doing their best. And, and mm. in return, if you are the person going through the suffering, um, 
have the confidence and the kindness to to take them up on their offer, you yeah, know? And yeah. so there's kind of, like, I think I learned a lot about how to support someone through mm. something hard, but also how to be a good recipient of oh, wow. kindness mm. because it's actually not helpful to say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's actually more loving, I think, to accept the invitation. Yeah. If someone says, I'd love to bring you dinner, say, okay, mm. you know what? I would love that, you know? And just accept Absolutely. it, even though that's... Yeah hard and humbling and you don't want to, you know, put anyone out, but like they're offering and you're in need. And when the tides turn, you can do that for them, you know? And so, yeah. So yeah, I would just say, um, Mm. yeah, little reminders that you're Mm. there and that you mean it. And I mean, people would drop off little gifts on my doorstep or, you know, Mm. a little, a little succulent or something, you know, something so small, but it just meant so much that, I I didn't feel alone, mm. and um, what a gift. I mean, I, I sometimes oddly long for that season because life can feel so lonely when mm. you're just going through the day-to-day, mm. and that was the most I've ever felt connected wow. to my people and to God, and it mm. was such a hard, like, trying dark season, but at the same mm. time, like, the brightest lights shined wow. over my life. Like, it was— amazing so wow yeah so much I love that you said that though just about um you know about for for people who are in the seat of suffering um just that you you don't want to rob someone of the opportunity and the gift that they have Mm -hmm. um you know if if the bible says you know it is more blessed to give than to receive then when you are in a opportunity where you are the recipient like you said then you are truly I mean, it sounds so weird and it sounds kind of warped, but you are um, presenting opportunities for people to be really blessed by Mm -hmm. getting to love on you and by getting to pour into you, you know? And so I just, yeah, it's a good encouragement. So, okay. So I remember fast forward, you get married to Michael and I remember this beautiful post. um, uh, And I wanted you, you to share that a little bit. There's this an anniversary of just sometimes God just goes over the top, right? Oh, like with this was amazing. This is yeah. just crazy. So just tell tell this story because yeah. I don't even know if I can not cry when hearing you tell like, it again. I don't know if I will either. Um, okay, so I think I'd mentioned the day I was diagnosed was January twenty fifth, two thousand seven, and I'm just, I'm just like a big dates person anyway. I just love special reasons to celebrate, really. Yeah. Um, and I remember that, you know, one thing that's cool about having cancer is there's this whole community of people who mm. kind of you get introduced to, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And yeah. people are supportive and they're throwing mm. different advice at you. And some of it is really good. And some of it kind of comes across the wrong way, which just happened. So yeah. there was this one woman who had kind of come to me and said, hey, I had lymphoma when I was your age. And she said, what was the day you were diagnosed? And she said, just so you know, like, you know, you might have like panic attacks on those days every year for Mm. a while. And Mm. just kind of set me up for like, Mm. it's okay to like relive some of it and to Mm. feel fear. Wow. Um, Which I know she meant so kindly, but I walked away from that conversation feeling a little defeated. Like, Mm. I, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to. And so, Instead of dreading that date, I decided, why don't I just throw a party every year yeah. on January 25th? And so 
I named it my Celebrate Life Day so that instead of dreading reliving that experience, I would remember what God had done and be reminded to be grateful for life and reach out to people who had Mm. blessed me. And um, so I made it my day, January 25th. So um, fast forward, like you said, I married Michael um, and that was heavy just explaining to him, like, I don't know if I'll be able to have kids. Like they still aren't sure about all the different drugs that I received. And, mm, yeah. um, and that's such a hard thing. It's like, I, yeah. I always dreamed of that. And, um, that had been a lingering fear over my shoulder for now so many years. And, um, so then when we eventually decided, you know, we don't know what this is going to look like, but let's just try and see yeah. what happens. Um, we, uh, well, you know, birds and the bees. <laughs> and, um, we went, I went to take a pregnancy test because I felt like I was having some symptoms mm. and um, I saw a positive pregnancy test and oh. was just totally flooded with joy. Like, can this be real? This is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And then I, you know, immediately scheduled an appointment to go to the doctor. You know, it was high risk yeah. for so many reasons. And they kind of did the little calculation and they say, you're pregnant and your due date is January 25th. <laughs> See, I can't tell without crying. Um, which to me was just, I'm like, I, I cannot chalk that up to coincidence. Like no. I, I mean, that's yeah. like a one in 365, <laughs> you know, chance. And oh, it felt Golly. just so, um, I mean, that had just been such an intimate fear of mine and for God to just go like, I see you yeah, and I have not forgotten you and um, I'm here, you know? And um, so then I had this like huge, fat, healthy little (laughs) boy, not on January 25th. He was about a week late, that little stinker. But thankfully, I even see that as a blessing because I still have my day to remember and reflect. And um, and then about a week later, I get to celebrate my sweet little guy. So So um, yeah, Yeah. and I've since then had two other fat little baby boys. (laughs) Um, And I think even that's funny. I mean, I'm I'm real tall, but... um, I think even them being so, I mean, they were all like nine, nine and a half pounds. <laughs> and I think even that was like, yeah. you can't just have babies. You can have, you can have babies, <laughs> you know. Um, right. And I just, they, I mean, again, mm. just how intimately blessed that felt to something that was, um, yeah. yeah, such a secret fear yeah. of mine. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that I still celebrate life every year on that day. And, so good. Um, it's it never gets old. It's really wow something. So. That's so good. It's crazy because I think sometimes, you know, there are seasons of life where we feel like God just maybe gives us just what we need, um, and then sometimes, you know, He takes away. There are seasons where we feel like we're being stripped, and then there mm-hmm. are seasons where He just like goes over the top with kindness. And I feel mm-hmm. like just that story is an example of like God's kindness, and Absolutely. just like you said, just I mean, talk about like. I can't even imagine just when that doctor told you <laughs> your due date is January 25th. Just that <laughs> in itself is just, is pretty awesome. So yeah, it's amazing. I Absolutely. love that story. Kindness. Yeah. yeah. Friend, it's been so good to just connect with you. Oh, and just, so good. I know just to get to, just to, I mean, I feel like these, these, um, you know, everything that you've shared are things that we have talked about, but honestly, even just hearing 
story, the January 25th story, the story of using your strengths, um, going back to college years, I think it's, it's been so good just to remember. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we, we don't pause enough to remember and celebrate and even look back and see what God has done, where he has brought us. Um, and sometimes those are the things that give us the most hope for today and for tomorrow are remembering like, wow, he has been so good. He has been so faithful. Um, and yeah, so this has been an awesome reminder of that for me and I hope for everybody listening. So absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. It's so good to be with you. And I just want to say you are using your gifts and creativity Mm. and it's going to bless the world like crazy. So I'm so proud of you and honored to be a part of this. Today's episode was made possible by Carrie Gakey at Southern District Properties Group, brokered by Compass. Carrie is a native Texan and 15-year Brenham resident. She has over two decades of real estate experience. Carrie has had a particularly significant impact in my family's life when she led us through the home buying process for the first time in 2017. Carrie serves all of South Central Texas within the Texas Triangle. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Wits End. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode <laughs> of Stupid Husband, Smart Wife. <laughs> Those are your words, not mine. Well, you are not stupid, babe. Thanks. <laughs> I can tell you're not really torn up about not that. What you, that's not what you say in our arguments. <laughs> babe, you're very smart. <laughs> Two thanks. <laughs> well, since you're so smart, maybe you'll know the answer to this first question. This is trivia. No, it's not. Okay. This is a, um, a question about your previous self. Ooh. What advice would you give yourself at age 15? Oh, wow. I was so awkward. <laughs> I really was. Gosh, let's see. what. Where was I? I was in, I think we were maybe moving from North Carolina to Georgia. I was struggling. I mean, I think a lot with kind of some identity stuff. But you know what? I think that that was actually around the time... 15, I would say, was probably, yeah, end of my 14th year, 15, beginning of 15th year was when I probably really started my relationship with God, like an actual, like, hey, this is kind of, I've been raised in the church with a family that believes these things, but now I'm actually going to really claim it for myself. But probably what I would tell myself would be something along the lines of um, people-pleasing, and I remember going to camp, Camp Timberline, as a camper. This was way before we ever met there. And I remember the theme was audience of one. And just this idea that all that you do in word, deed, whatever whatever it is that you are doing ultimately for God as your audience. And I think that that's probably been just a lifelong lesson, though. And I, I think I learned a ton about it in high school um, was where does my value lie? And, 
Um, who am I ultimately trying to impress? And I would say it's still something I'm learning, but it's been like, um, you know, almost like layers over time of like, okay, I feel like I've really learned this lesson and then something will happen where you're like, oh, all my insecurities are coming out again. Um, of wanting this person to like me um, and caring more about what this person thinks than I do about what God thinks about me and what he says about me. So probably that, like, don't, don't get stuck on who does or doesn't like you. Don't let that be what you chase after. Don't let that be what defines you. Don't let that be something that gives you value or causes you to be insecure because it can go both ways, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So it wouldn't Wait, be... can I ask you the same question? What I would tell myself? Yes, when you were 15. I'm so curious. When you were 15. Um, that would have been 1996. Mm, okay. And... Ice, ice, baby. No, no, that was earlier. Okay, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm not good at trivia. <laughs> I probably... Um, I'm going to go, like, way less spiritual than you. <laughs> and I'm going to say my I would tell myself to invest in Google or Apple <laughs> or in, invent Bitcoin. Or That is so smart. We would be, like, MTV Cribs would be calling us right now. <laughs> I don't think they, that show is airing anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> It shows how much you were up on your pop culture. <laughs> right. We we would live in a different house probably, is what I'm saying. I mean, if yeah, if we had invested in <laughs> Apple and or Google in 1996. Yeah, we'd be set. Yeah. Oh, man. If only we could advise ourselves. I know. We could avoid so much heartache and save so much money. Lots of money. <laughs> Lots of money. We'd be... Ma- We'd be retired. <laughs> Pretty much. We'd be doing this podcast full time. Yeah, we'd just be retired podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of podcasting, how big is our audience, do you think? I have no idea. I don't know. I ran the analytics and it looks like we have one listener. <laughs> that's it? Yeah. Well, that's so sad. Probably a relative. <laughs> that's listened like a thousand times. Yeah, at least. <laughs> it's probably your grandma. Oh, I don't think she knows how to do no, podcasts. She probably doesn't know how to access a podcast. Um, okay, your next question is, why are manhole covers not square? Um, because the body is actually more circular when you look at it from an aerial view. <laughs> Whose body? <laughs> I mean, okay, if you, like, had your drone, which you don't have, but if you have a drone and you were to hover it above your head, right, the head down to your feet is more of, like, a circular, more or less, you know, you're not a cube is what I'm saying. You're more of, like, a cylinder shape, right? So it makes sense that a manhole cover that you have to get climbed down inside of, then it's more of, like... It's made for your cylindrical body to go down as opposed to your cube-shaped body. If 
Finally so you think it has to do with the human form and not the fact that <laughs> pipes come in circles? <laughs> I would have to ask a contractor about that. <laughs> but do you know the answer to this question? <laughs> no, I don't. But it's it's a hypothetical. Uh, yeah, I don't, I've never thought about that. But, I mean, it makes sense that pipes come in mm-hmm. cylinders, mm-hmm. circles, right? Yeah, yeah. So man shape or man hole covers would be the same size and shape as the pipe, right? That's true. But you think it's about the body shape. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the pipe itself. Yeah, I was just picturing like what it would look like if you were a cube person. Well, SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He would need a square shape manhole cover. That's true. So you know what? It's kind of discriminatory, actually. <laughs> <laughs> They're round. <laughs> yeah. It really is. I'm very unhappy about that. <laughs> now that you pointed out. <laughs> I'm sure SpongeBob is pissed about it too. <laughs> it's possible. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode. <laughs> we'll be back next time. To find show notes for this and past episodes, or to engage on a deeper level, you can go to wovenministry.com/podcast. If you enjoy what you hear so far, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps listeners find and share this feed. If you'd like to tell us what you enjoyed about this podcast or ask your hard question, you can call us at 512-815-2446. That's 512-815-2446. You'll simply leave a voicemail with what's on your mind, and we might just include your voice on a future episode. Music and editing for the show is by Callan Brown. Recording and production by Tim Scarborough. I'm Whitney Scarborough, and we'll be back here with more very soon. Thanks for listening.